Ben, thank you very much for hosting us in your house. Thank you for coming. Can you tell us about October 7th? What, what was it there? You call it a trance party? Yeah, true. So trance party is one of me and my friend's hobby. Uh, we go like a few people, we build a small home in the nature. And for a few hours, we just uh, forget about the real world and the real problem. And we're just enjoying ourselves in the freedom of, of nature and music. When does the trance party start? Does it start at night or? So it started like we arrived at uh, 11.30, around 11.30 to the parking. So uh, you partied through the night, you danced some. And yeah, you came we had back. like four hours of dancing. I was a bit uh, exhausted, like six. I found myself, 6 a.m., I found myself a bit like um, restless. So I wanted to get out of the party. And this was right as it was uh, sunrise. It was it just was starting sunrise. to get light. We danced in the car. We had like our own small music festival of four people. And then the missiles started to come. You, you thought it was Hundred just... Hundred thousands. Yeah. In the, in the beginning, we didn't understand what is happening. Because uh -huh. like, there are a lot of missiles there yeah, all the time. Yeah, we kind of used to see these pictures. Yeah. So you, you saw the missiles. You figured, okay. Uh, we've seen this before, yeah. and the Iron Dome can knock down most, if not all mm -hmm. of them. And it was unusual, but it, it was something that happened frequently in Israel. You didn't think it was more than that. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, we stay in the car, we get under the car, and then like a minute or two pass and we see they keep coming. So I told my friend Lotan, go find Mai. Mai is our friend uh, with the, the three of us in the car, me, Mai, and Lotan. And uh, I told him, go find her. I will wait here. You bring her and we go to the, we, we go, we just drive away. He went to bring her. After a few minutes, he came back with her. We sat in the car. I took the wheel and they both sat in the back. He was like holding her and telling her it's all gonna be all right. And she was in the phone and he was in the phone and I was focusing on driving. Hmm. And then we get there and we see the police uh, border. The checkpoint. Yeah, and they tell us there is a chance of uh, terrorist attacks, so just turn around. I know there is a chance of terrorists, but I don't take it very seriously that, at the time because also I need to calm down myself and also my friends. So all we say is, okay, we go to the shelter to the Migunit, and there was a Migunit in uh, the entrance of Beri, Kibbutz Beri. And so that's a Migunit, is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a block, a cinder block, it's like a, a cement yeah. shelter yeah. that's built for several people. For 10 people, for ten maximum, people. yeah. They just, we came there, and like we said, it's like 10 people should be there, and there were like 60. And as we went, we stopped at the Migunit, and I told my friends, we can calm down. We are here in the Migunit. They were together and I saw some girls like uh, panic attacking. So I took, I took care of the, the girl and I asked her questions and I took her with me to the Migunit. I pushed some people to get her inside. This, this was a girl that you had not known no, before? No, I didn't know that before. You just saw her panicking yeah. and you wanted to help. Mm -hmm. They all happened very fast. We, we started to hear some shooting. At about eight o'clock, little about before eight. eight. Yeah, you heard no. shooting from all the around outside. You? From the outside, then we just we saw the first guy that was standing outside, 
it was shot very bad uh, with him and we understood they're coming. I couldn't see a lot, but I could hear and I could hear the screaming and they come in. Then they start with, the, they throw some grenades. We hear the metal falling on the floor and people are like organizing to do something. There was a guy, Avi Sassi, he's like 60 years old or so. He is a grandpa already. He was there. I met his daughter afterwards and he was trying to organize a few guys to, to come back. To, to, do to a, resist. To, to resist. To, to fight do, Yeah, to fight the, the terrorists. And uh, before, before he could do anything, this threw a grenade, he jumped on the grenade. And this is the first blow. He jumped on the grenade yeah. and was killed. Yeah. And he, he knew what he was doing. He, was yeah. gonna, he wanted to save everybody yeah. else. True. And then they These came. unbelievable acts of heroism, yeah. it's just incredible. It was he one. jumped on the grenade and he, he saved everybody but himself? Yeah. Later on it was not, he couldn't do anything anymore. Yeah. But they came in and a few people also tried to resist. They were killed at the first and then they came in and they started to shoot everyone. So every time I hear the screaming in Arabic, I hear they coming in, I just put my head in the, in the corner and I wait for it to go through. To pass. You thought and you were going to die? Of course, yeah. I felt for one minute that everybody is climbing on me because I was on the ground, they all came on me and then like, tuck, it was quiet. It was quiet, it was, they were on me, but they were not moving anymore. And then I started to understand that maybe I'm the only one. And then I tried to move some corpse that was on me and I see, uh, I see more guys, like we were like maybe 13 people, I didn't count them, but it was more than 10 people that I see that still... That were still alive. Still alive, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then uh, I saw my friends. I see the, the girl that was with me, I see her shot. Um, and I know the situation is... You knew she was dead, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, I knew she was dead. And my friend, I saw him, he was like lying in the, on, he was lying on his back. And uh, I couldn't understand for sure, I didn't saw any blood. So I started to shoot, to shout to call him. And I shouted like crazy, I think. And I was the only one that knew him there. And then like, a girl that was next to me, her name is Bar. She, she hold me and she said, your friend is dead. Uh, and then I just look at her. I hug the girl next to me and she said, it's all gonna be all right. I'm with you. We're gonna go through it. And I was looking at her, she's so young and how can you tell me something like this? Then it's just a long, I don't know how to call it, but a long show of horror that they, every five to 10 minutes, they come inside the Miguni, throw a grenade. Sometimes it explodes, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's flash grenade. Uh, sometimes it was an explosive grenade. Uh, and in one of these times, I started to bleed. She, she, the girl next to me, Bar, she holds my head and she showed me her hands and she tried to shout at me that I'm injured. And I didn't hear anything in this, in this uh, 
in this time. After half an hour, I think I lost my my sense. You lost your hearing. Yeah, my hearing. Because of the grenades and all the noise. Yeah, all the shooting and the grenades. Why and were they coming back every five or ten minutes, just to make sure that everybody verify. was dead there? Yeah. Or what? I guess it was very verification, and we were like. After we understood, after I saw my friends dead, I understood the situation. I just took the, the closest body to me, the, the corpse, and I put her on my, on my body. And I tried to take the girl next to me. From the left, I put her head also here. And the girl to the right of me, I, I hugged her like, tried to protect each other. And were you trying to play dead? You, yeah, we just You like, thought that if they come back, mm -hmm. you, they would think that you were dead? Yeah, we hoped so. This was happening every five or ten minutes for how long? For seven hours. For seven hours. Yeah. They kept coming back yeah. and forth for seven hours. They were shooting dead people. Yeah. They were in the beginning. And they didn't know that you were alive? I'm still asking myself these questions. Uh, I, I cannot tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After six hours of this shooting, um, we saw, I, I hear only voices. I don't know what they say, I don't know anything, because it's so blurry in my, in my ears. I don't understand what's happening, and then I see a guy coming in. He is not from the army. He's with blue jeans, black shirt. He's coming in with a pistol, and he's starting to just take people from the arm and take them outside. And for me, it's the most scariest thing. This is what I've been waiting for. Like, this was my, my paranoid. paranoid. You thought he was kidnapping, yeah, kidnapping you and taking you back to Gaza? Yeah. So I was starting to like take uh, another, another place in the Megunit so I can maybe react to something. And then when I, I go to the other place, I take a look in the entrance and I see one guy that I remember him from the Megunit the whole time. We had a lot of high contact and he was already grabbed outside and then he went inside on his head and he's telling me like, come with me. And I can't hear anything, but I, I say, it's good. He said, it's good. I understand it's a rescue. It was Moti. It was uh, Nitsan's father. Nitsan was with me in the Migunit, and her father just came with his son. And both of them with uh, their own car, with their own pistols, and they just grabbed with them, with, with them uh, army. And they told them, our daughter is there, my sister is there. We are going to rescue. You can help or not help, we are going to rescue them. And uh, they came with them. And when we, when I saw Moti, he was like grabbing me and he told me, you can walk, you're okay? And I said, yeah. So he said like, so come and help me. And I said, no, no, I can't, can I? I started to go outside. He took me, he gave me a slap and he said, help me. And then I started to like, I woke up. I remember this waking up. And I grabbed all the girls I can see that couldn't or, wouldn't walk and I tried to grab them. I moved the curbs from people so they can breathe and go and walk 
and we just go to his car, he has like a pickup car, and we all enter inside the car. All 11 the, of you. All the, the 11. 11 few girls are in the inside of the car, and we were in the back. They told us don't look out, don't just put your heads down. And I was with my head up and I was just looking to sides to understand what is happening. And then I can, I still remember the pictures of the hundreds of cars and people. If you were to have a moment to speak to people your age, a little younger and a little older, what would be your message to them? What do you want them to know? I want them to know that uh, we are all one. We are all, there is a, there is a big power that holds us together. And it's not only about uh, where you live or what language do you speak. And it's all about love, if you ask me. And this is the power that connects us all together. Um, where love and dancing and freedom meets this hate and, and terrifying images and terrifying thoughts and education. You just have a bigger statement of what is right and what is wrong in the world. And I hope a lot of people will, will wake up from, the, from this thing that just separate us from each other and understand that we are all have the same, we all want the same thing, the same, same peace, the same, environment so it's time to put stuff in the side and all the beliefs and all the the native uh, i don't know logos like captured that he said this is this and he is like this because he's jewish or and i hope for a better future that this it will have a good meaning i tell you something ben i uh I'm not your generation, I'm maybe two generations older than you, but I think you're the most amazing people. First of all, your story is uh, very inspiring and you and your friends and the courage of your generation is, I think you're better than our generation in many ways. And I love the f what you said about, about trying to create a better world. I hope that uh, even those of you who survived that terrible day that you do, you're, you're more capable than we, than we were to forge a better generation, to give back to society, uh, and to use your lives for good with all of those people who were killed, that you survived because of a reason, that you're able to give back to society and create yeah. a world of greater peace. I just love your generation. <laughs> So wishing you well. Thank you very much for Thank spending you. this time with us. Thank you.
Elad, thank you for coming and uh, speaking with us. Before I ask you about your own personal family, uh, I was walking around here. This is in central Tel Aviv. <clears throat> All the um, families of the hostages are here and the posters are here. There's a table outside for Shabbat waiting for the hostages to come back. It's, it's a place of such overwhelming sadness. I was welling up with emotions walking around. But at the same time, it's a place of strength and inspiration. How do you deal with your emotions? You're here every day. During the day, I train my mind, don't think nothing about my family, uh, what's happened to them, where are they, uh, how they looked. During the day, absolutely cold brain, cold mind, just to work and interview and tell the story uh, all over the world because I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't understand what's happened now in the world with the demonstration and everything, but it's very important they know our side. Tell us, uh, share with us what happened on October 7th. Okay, first I want to show them my family. Okay, uh, this is Tal, this is my son. Uh, uh, he's 30, 38 years old. This is Adi, my daughter-in-law. This is my grandson, Nave. Uh, she's also 38. Nave is eight years old. She's my granddaughter, uh, Yahel. Uh, she's three years old. Uh, all the four live in the north of the country, in, uh, near Carmiel. Uh, this is Shushan, um, uh, Adi's mother. Uh, this is Sharon, Adi's aunt. And this is Noam, Adi's aunt's uh, daughter. All of them was in the shelter in the safe room. Uh, this terrible Saturday was uh, Saturday here in Israel and also uh, holiday uh, Simchat Torah. So they just happened to be in Kibbutz Be'eri. They live in the north. 100 miles away. Yes. On that day, they happened to be in Kibbutz Be'eri mm. visiting your daughter-in-law's family. Yes, and uh, I, we live in Kibbutz Gvulot. There's about 12 kilometers uh, from the border. About 6.10 uh, in the morning, a.m., we start to hear, to hear shootings from, from Gaza Strip, okay? It's not something unusual. I mean, every two, three months, they start to shooting for, for if they want something or for nothing. Okay, we, we run to, we have enough time, 15 seconds. It's enough time, yes? <laughs> because in Berry, even this you don't Less have. Than. Yes. Uh, so we, you, you thought it was just another normal. Normal. We we day go even we don't shooting. run. Yes. We have we have each house have uh, uh, in this area as a safe room. It's safe room with uh, strong walls. You know, strong windows, uh, strong uh, door that they can open from outside. But uh, quickly we understand that this something abnormal because they shoot more than thousand missiles in one hour all over Israel, and this is absolutely not normal. Uh, but in our area, not normal, normal, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's happened. So we relax, you know, it's something that happened. Uh, so it's, it's missiles that have happened many, many times before. Every, you're in the safe room and you're essentially safe. Yes, if it's, it's, not, it's not scaring, it's, it's not nice, but not uh, something that I uh, live with this uh, 20 years, I mean. And uh, that's what you thought was happening yes, on that day on but, October 7th. Yes, this is what you thought, and we know that they are in the safe room also, because uh, this happened. And uh, we start to hear from TV, television that something else uh, happened. They, there was a terrorist. That even this is not unusual because they stay in the border and every, I don't say every month, but 
Sometimes there come one, two, three uh, terrorists from other other side of the uh, defense, and 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 they can go inside the kibbutz. There is each kibbutz as um, a group of uh, men that uh, with weapons, long weapons, they're training to to uh, to keep uh, everybody outside the fence. I mean, don't let until the army came. It's take five, ten minutes the army came, and so the the job is to to jump immediately, protect the the population. You know the the. Don't forget that it was happened six o'clock in the morning holiday. I mean, mm. almost everybody sleep. So ah. their job was to hold back terrorists for five to ten minutes until the until army the comes. Army, yes, there is camps around and and supposed to come in five ten minutes and take care and take uh, care about the kibbutz. And when you heard that there were terrorists infiltrating, that's what you thought. In the in the in the first two three minutes, but then I understand there is something really really uh, unusual never happened. We thought that it's 10, 20, 30 terrorists, but in fact, we know there's about 3,000 terrorists go, uh, come inside around all the kibbutzim uh, on the border. We start to understand that they kill people, they burn their houses, they rape, they, they, something that even you can think about this. This and was through WhatsApp groups and various social media? Yes, yes, immediately. They, they kill us, they kill my brother, they kill my sister, they kill my children, they burn my, my daughter. They took, and then we understand also from, uh, from uh, videos that uh, Hamas uh, release, they take hostages. Why hostages? They are civilian, okay? They're hostages. Against the, 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 the war, uh, uh, laws and against humanity. It's, mm -hmm. it's humanity crime. Um, so once you heard that they were killing and shooting and infiltrating and taking hostages, did you fear for your own family at course, that point? Of course, of uh, course. Uh, I have contact with my son. I told him what's happened. And I have a group of friends that want to, uh, to uh, organize to come to uh, um, uh, rescue them. And Tal told me, my son told me, father, don't be involved. The army is here. Uh, let them work. They know what to do. And in this time of time, was not army there. He, he didn't, didn't realize. He didn't, he didn't know he, that. No, he didn't realize. And, and I told him also, uh, be careful. Uh, there is uh, rumors that the terrorists came with the Israeli IDF uh, uniforms. He stay on the door. Don't let him open for me. He was holding. He the was holding. He told me that so that they wouldn't he, come he, into the safe yes, room. Yes, he, he told me that he holding and uh, they couldn't open the door because no, it no, wasn't locked from the inside. No, but, but they, they found were. they found the, the way they put bombs. They they bring bombs and they explode and make a hole, and from the hole they shoot people inside and, mm -hmm. and kill even this day and then burn everything. So what happened as far as you understand? In this time I have I have knowledge that didn't killed in the house. So we have now another two options or they take him to Gaza okay or they kill him outside on the way or something like this. It's happened also to other people. We we know that my son was alive and um, what's happened next we don't know. The other rest of the, the family, uh, seven... If you could show. Yes. The, uh, uh, so your son... My son was... You, a, you're uh, pretty sure he was taken hostage and he was in yes, reasonable yes, health. Yes, okay. Adi, my daughter-in-law, uh, her mother, Shushan, uh, her aunt, uh, Sharon, her daughter, uh, aunt, daughter, uh, uh, Noam, 12 years old, 
Uh, we have knowledge from the Israeli authorities that they are also in the Gaza Strip hostages. The Israeli authorities told you that all of them are hostages uh, not, and they know it's that? It's not 100%. They believe they are there. I don't know what condition, I don't know if they are together, I don't know if they separated the kids, the children, I don't know if they, they are with the, the mother. And it's, it's darkness, I mean, it's, it's, it's darkness and it's worse now because a week ago we get a, a winter uh, uh, clock, okay, the dark come very early. When the dark come, the, the thoughts coming and the nightmare and, and thinking and it's very, very difficult. Try and imagine try, what they're going through or I do you suppress that? I know, I try to connect with my son to tell him that, that don't worry, we, we do everything, but I can't, it's, it's in, in the middle of, it's cut, I can't do it, I, I, it's, it's something terrible. We sure that children and women must be released immediately without negotiation, no negotiation about nothing, with, it, it, it's, everybody must to think what's happened if in their country happened this and take children and women. This first release, I don't care what will happen there. First release, children and women. Yula is three years old. She doesn't like change. Every year, her preschool adjustment period begins on September 1st and lasts until June. Yula loves making pretend food for Mommy Adi, Daddy Tal, and her older brother Neve. She keeps making them more and more pretend meals even when they pretend to be full and gets mad for real when they don't keep pretending to be eating. Yula likes it when her mom lays down beside her when she goes to bed. Her mom, Adi, usually falls asleep beside her and ends up missing all her plans for the rest of the evening. Our beloved Yula, do you make pretend food over there? Are you hungry for real? Does mommy lie down next to you when you fall asleep? All you've ever known has been your family's unique tenderness and decency. And then one day, all at once, you have been ripped away from all of that, stolen into darkness and dread. You know, uh, 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 a lot of people who've killed from uh, um, the kibbutzim was three times a week, take their own cars and go to the border to bring uh, 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 cancer uh, sickness children from Gaza, okay, and take them to the hospitals. And many of these people in the villages were peace activists. And they would they would establish contact with the Palestinians. I, I, I don't care if they go with signed peace activists. They go three times a week to the borders, okay, and take people and women and men that ill to the hospital, even to Jerusalem or, or, or to, to Tel Aviv, okay. Go back. They they make everything to live uh, with. They trying to help to help Palestinians. And those people was assassinated, killed. Okay, and I tell you something else if you want to hear. Okay, Israel let, after a lot of years, let 17,000 uh, 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 Gaza people to come to work in Israel. I mean that each one of those 
uh, as the Israeli right of work. I mean, they come back with $1,500 a month back home during the bank, so no, no protection on the border to take off of them, okay? Around him, there is a lot of 30 people, family people that can learn, that can eat, they can uh, buy uh, clothes. Lottery. Those people dance and sing in the streets when they hear what's happened here. I want to I wanna just press you on that. So the, the very people who were working in Israel, they were the ones who were rejoicing and celebrating of course. when they heard of the hostages. Of course. And the, and the, can I ask you, <clears throat> so your family, you have a daughter-in-law, a son, uh, a son, son and, and grand two grandchildren, yes. all of whom you believe are hostages in Gaza now, and all of whom have separate posters as well that are being posted all over the world. Yes. Yes. How does it make you feel when you hear that some people want to tear down those posters? Let me tell you a story. I swear that it's true. Two weeks ago, I saw somebody do what he did with my son's picture. Swear to go. I, I, I saw it. I say, no, no way. I don't remember where in the United States. And I, I called my wife, look, 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 what's happening? Take it. Does it frustrate you? Does it sadden you? Are you just... No, you no, you? I, no, I tell you why no. I, I tell you why no. Those people don't understand that what's happened in Israel, okay, it's, it's not only in my neighborhood, okay? Soon, soon they wake up one day, okay, and, and, and they can happen everywhere, okay? Uh, Hamas, it's, it's cancer that's named Hamas, but there is a lot, a lot, the Hezbollah, and there is uh, Tehran, and in, in, in Africa there is, they, they are all over the world, okay? And what they say, okay, today Jerusalem, tomorrow Berlin, after London, after United States. Look what's happened, the demonstration, this demonstration, look what's happened in part of, of Europe. There is ex-territories that the government and the police can go inside. What do you think will happen? They want all the world. They don't happy anywhere. So you think that the fight that Israel is having now with terrorists, and they're all Iranian proxies, do you, you, you feel that that fight, we're on the front lines here, but that it's the fight really for Western civilization and Western values itself? They don't understand that we are like the kibbutzim was the, the, the border from, to, from them to come to Tel Aviv. We are the border to, to them mm -hmm. to come to Europe. Do you think the European governments understand that? Yes, I know. I know. I'm, I'm uh, myself and my family are also Austrian uh, 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 citizens. My daughter-in-law and her mother, and my grandson, granddaughter, also are German uh, citizens. And I know for sure that at least uh, Austria and Germany very, very, uh, they understand this, and they are in our side completely. You're worried about anti-Semitism and of course. the attacks on Jewish community of course, worldwide. Of course, of course. I, I worried uh, I, I, about this. I worried about Hezbollah in the north. Okay, I worried Tehran. And if, if everybody continue to sleep, I think it will be a big problem to everybody. Wake up, wake up. This is the time. No, uh, October 7 is a sign that the world changed and it was much 
danger than it was. Mm. I think that's part of the frustration of the nations that they can't imagine how we're still around after so many efforts to kill us and eliminate us. Here we are, we're still around. And I think, I think that's a source of great bafflement and frustration for our opponents and our enemies. Anyway, thank you very much for this interview and uh, for all the community. Thank you, everybody. And uh, just pray for us that everybody come back soon. We wish you well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great pleasure to be here. You created this Merchav Marpeh, which in Hebrew I guess means healing space. Yeah. And it's a very unique, it's a very unique setup. I think you organized it within a few days of the tragedy on October 7th. Yeah. Can you tell us yeah. about what you what we see here and what you've done? What you're seeing now is the entrance to healing space. So anybody that <clears throat> feels that the um, incidents on the 7th of October or was traumatized by those incidents and needs a healing space is welcome to come here. Right now we're working with the people that were at the massacre at the party and the ones that are close to them. That's about 4,000 young people and we're also working with their brothers, sisters, parents, and spouses. What is the type of emotional harm that they may have been affected with? So what happens here is that people that went through such a traumatic event and felt very helpless and lost trust because nobody was there. The parents didn't come, the soldiers didn't come, the police didn't come. They were come. there on their own for They were there hours, on their our own for longer. hours and hours and hours on the phone saying, come help, there was nobody there. We wanted them to come to a place that could bring them trust back in the goodness of people, in people that would see them in Am Yisrael, in, in the country, in their bodies, come back to trust. And in order to heal that helplessness, when they come in, we say, welcome. This is the welcome desk. 
So when you come in, we ask them, what do you need today? Is it to just be, is it to sit with people? Is it to talk to a psychologist? Is it to be touched, to have body therapy? And we have so many different opportunities here, but we want them to answer the question. Mm -hmm. So instead of the people that come here are not the people that would answer call on hotline. They're not the people that they would go to their parents' psychologist. They're the people that if there wasn't this place, they would still be at home. And we still get people. Last week, we still had 80 people that left their house for the first time. Who were at the concert. Who were at the party. And they've been so and emotionally been, upset they that couldn't they couldn't even leave their leave home. The house. And the people, these are all young people. These are all young people. And the people that came at the first day, they were shadows of people. They were, their eyes were, there was no light. There was no life in them. There was death on them. We just saw people that were dark shadows. Just, you look in their eyes you and could, you don't they, see there anything. Was, it, was, it, was, it was horrific. On the first two weeks, it was, for many of them, it was the first time they could eat. It was the first time they could digest. After coming, they said it was the first time they could sleep. And slowly, they gave a lot of trust in that we were there for their good. And I told them, the amount of evil that you have felt in that massacre, we are going to shower you with so much good that you won't know what to do with it. And that's what we've been doing here for the past almost five weeks. You know, there's no way to fight darkness, but with, to, to bring light. light. That's the only way. That's what we're doing. I hear soft music in the background over here. I see right. gentle so, touch therapy over there. Right, but before that, we have food. We're Jews. Don't forget, okay? Everybody is a volunteer. The therapists also Everybody. are all volunteering. Everybody's a volunteer. From top to And some of them are uh, leaving their regular clients from which they earn money to come and volunteer yes. for free. Yeah, we have all closed our clinics. I closed my clinics. I stopped teaching. I'm, everything is on hold. And some of those volunteers, I'll tell you about one of them, the one who sculpts with the people here. I saw him carrying the clay last week. And I stopped and I said, I'm so sorry, but can I pay you at least for the clay? And he said to me, do you think I would let you take away from my mitzvah? So I have people doing body work here for seven, eight hours a day, and at the end of the day, they come to me to say thank you. Yeah. That's what's going I'll on. I'll tell you, as I said, there's something very miraculous about that. I think there's something very Jewish about that and something uniquely Israeli about it. In this case, the Israelis have something to teach world Jewry on. It's yeah. just this eruption of national unity yeah. and of love and concern. Yeah. You know, Israelis don't always show this kind of yeah. touchy-feely right. spirit right. Uh, right. superficially, yeah. you know, but deep yeah. inside, yeah. the most passionate yeah. people and the most loving people. Totally. Hi, Ami. <laughs> I'm a rabbi in New York. Well, yeah, no, thank you. Were, were you at the trans party? No, or you wouldn't. I'm here doing therapy work. I'm doing the sound you, healing. You're a volunteer. You're a volunteer. Yeah. 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 In a couple of sentences, what is sound therapy? Sound therapy means that you lay down on the ground, and we put. It's called the force resonance instruments. Between like Tibetan balls, Tibetan singing balls, or didgeridoo, which is a big pipe that we mm -hmm. play with. And also, I, I create some kind of loop that create this space with my guitar, and then people just lay down. And the idea is that. 
you can't slow down their brain frequencies. So it, you relax, and do you forget your troubles? Definitely. Yeah. First of all, it's kind of, we have two nervous systems in the body. We have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. And it engages the parasympathetic system, uh -huh. which means it can release you from the fight or flight mechanism that pulls the adrenaline out. So it really helps to calm you down, people relax. We have people here that fell asleep the first time after three weeks. Yeah. Wow. I'd like to do that. I've never done sound you therapy. Should. And I, think I, you I live under a lot of tension in New York. First of all, it's a very tense place. And secondly, to be a congregational rabbi, I love it, by the way, whoever's watching, but it's very sure. Uh, sure. anxiety provoking. So I need to try this uh, sound to. therapy. You're welcome. We're doing it in 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, we have 15 minutes. <laughs> I'll for do it. Thank you. Sure. Thank nice you. you. All right. Thank you. So, what are you doing here? So, Pninit came also from up north and brought um, these bowls and cups and they broke them. Purposely and, broke and them. And now they're putting the pieces, the broken pieces, together. Okay. <laughs> that they broke, they broke your heart. So, you're trying to put the pieces back together. That's very beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Look yeah. at this work. And some pieces can't be put, put back together, so we fill them up with gold. Mm. Wow. And you purposely leave a gap here. Some of them yeah. just are crumbled. You can't put it all back together. Yeah. It'll be sure. different. We'll all be different. Yeah. I find it, that to be a very profound statement, you know, that we deal with a lot of people who deal with loss. And I don't think you're ever the same after somebody you love dies. But you are able to put the pieces back. And you'll be something new. Yeah. Different. And you start, you find a place of equilibrium in and, a different place. And this is what we're doing with them on a higher scale. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. You think that one day people will look back at what's been created here and they'll write papers about it and maybe there'll be new modes of therapy for people that, that people think didn't think about before. I think we're making history. And it's not only about therapy, because everybody is traumatized. And that emotional space, if we don't get it in time, in a way that's right, we're going to have suicides, addictions, yeah. deaths, alimut. Yeah. Um, um, violence. Violence in a way that we won't even start to understand here in the land of Israel. So I think this is not only saving us now, this could be so important and helpful in the future. Um, we already have opened two more healing spaces, one in Jerusalem, one in Elat. And our vision is to have in every community a place that if you feel you need to come to and be held and um, be healed back to your wholeness, that there will be a space that can do that for you in a way that's eclectic, in a way that's very professional but in a way that's also very loving and holding and soft. I want to thank you personally for taking the time also for your vision and your love for individual people, but also for humanity. Know that American Jews are very proud of what you and Israel are doing. And I hope that um, a lot of people, thousands of people see this and that they find an opportunity to help you out and to participate in this world Jewish effort. Thank you for coming. Of course. Thank you for supporting us. And 
just thank you for any support in any different ways that we can get to keep this going. It's been five weeks. We're on air still, on love or on air. Um, but we need the earth and we need to build our place. This is a wedding hall. We're moving next week to um, a ground that we got, oh, but we need moving. to build a new home. Because this is normally a place, it's a famous place where Israelis have wedding parties. Right, right. Now nobody's having a party. Lots right. of people are getting married, right. but it's very modest. Right, right. Yeah. So you're going to need to move. But next to week there are place. weddings here oh. because life goes on. Yes. So we that's, found. That's beautiful yeah. to hear. So I think it's like anybody who wants to take participation in having a stone in that kind of mikdash, because this is Kiddush Hashem more than anything I've ever known. Thank it's you an very honor. much. Thank you. And don't forget the kids playing ball because that's life. That's life. And we're going to go on living. Thank you very much for uh, coming today. You flew up this morning uh, from Eilat, mm -hmm. where you're temporarily housed now uh, with your children. Why was it so important for you to come up and speak with us today? Because I think that it's very important for the world to know what happened on uh, October 7th in Israel, and especially in, uh, in our kibbutz and other kibbutz, kibbutzim next to us. Um, we really need your help. We need you to know the real story of ours and not what, you know, others tell you. And because some of the people think that the Hamas is not uh, that radical, and it is. Everybody saw what they did, and I'm here today to tell you what they did to my family and how you can maybe um, assist to rebuild our kibbutz that was ruined um, back in... Uh, so tell us about October 7th. Do, do you remember, yeah, I imagine you remember exactly where you were and what you were feeling. Unfortunately. You weren't actually with your children on that That's morning. Correct. yeah. So tell us, you woke up, where were you, and what did you hear? So I woke up at uh, this Saturday uh, October 7th and uh, I was away from home I was staying with a friend of mine in the center of uh, next to Tel Aviv and then uh, I saw the sirens start and uh, when when I heard the siren we went back in the elevator and opened the TV and we saw all these alerts on the TV and um, there was still Simchat Torah, um, you know. Dancing uh, and celebrations, yeah, yeah. On the TV. And I didn't understand what's going on. I mean, nobody talks. It's just, you know, the alerts on the TV. And then I started to receive phone calls from a friend of mine um, and, and my daughter. I have uh, three, three kids. Um, my daughter is uh, 13 years old. She was not at home 
at that moment she slept over uh, her friend 15 minutes from the kibbutz in Enabso. Uh, and she wrote me a text, she texted me a message, how are you mommy, etc. And I said, you know, we have some sirens here, but everything is fine and I'm in a safe place, I'm okay. And what they've had sirens you? where you were for years, so at first, did you think it was just a, more yeah. sirens that you didn't imagine that no, something like this would happen? No, no. And I don't think that there's anyone who did imagine that. So I text to my daughter if she's fine, and she said, yeah, I'm fine, but I'm afraid because there's a terrorist next to the house. Uh, where she friend. was staying. Yeah, where she was staying. And her two other siblings were at home with her father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I called her right away, and she texted me back, I cannot talk, mommy. We need to be quiet in the shelter. I cannot talk. So, you know, you hear that. I'm her mother. I can't talk to her because there's a terrorist next to her home. I can't do anything. It's like I felt like, you know, I cannot do a thing. It's frustrating. Did it ever enter your mind that there would be a terrorist walking on the grounds of... Never. The never. Never. I took this uh, text message. I copy and paste it to, to, to my husband, Dvil. And I asked him, Vil, what's going on? I mean, just for you to know, Leah is fine. She's fine. Don't worry. But what's going on with you guys? And he said, you don't want to know. I mean, there's a heavy, like, shooting in the kibbutz. So Where the were beginning they? Were they in the, they were in the shelter too? Yeah. And then I told him, don't worry, Leah is safe. The mother of uh, her friend is taking care of her. They're in the shelter. And, and then I got a message back. Mommy, it's Daria. Dad has been murdered. Stav as well. Stav was his uh, girlfriend. Help. Three short messages from Dvir's phone that my daughter wrote to me. How old was she? Ten. How old is she? Ten? Daria is ten years old. And she was with her and younger brother? Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Lavi. He is uh, eight and a half uh -huh. years old. And when I got this message, I called her right back. And she was under the blanket, talking to me, whispering. I asked her, Daria, what's going on? What happened? And she said, uh, we heard the noise from outside and Daddy took the axe. He opened the door. Because he heard that terrorists were yeah. outside mm -hmm. and he wanted to protect his children? That's right. And I assume, I cannot tell, you know, because Vera unfortunately is not alive, but uh, I assume that he didn't even want them to, to see the battle, you know? He didn't know how many terrorists were out there? No. Do you know what happened? Do you know how he was killed? Yeah. Um, he was walking on the hall. It's like a short hall. And, um, and then he was hiding and waiting for them. When they came in, he took the axe and um, hurt the, uh, the terrorists. He shot him all over his body. 
will fall down on, um, you know, on the, uh, the the bathroom. I mean, was everything was broken, mm -hmm. and then they shot Stav as well. She she tried to protect, um, you know, the children. They shot her as well. Outside this, the safe room. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they stepped into the safe room. Which was open. Which was open. They took off the blanket from Daria. She was hiding under the blanket, so they, they took it off her. And then she was planning to say, please don't kill me in English. But she didn't have the chance because they just took it off and put it back. They wrote on the wall in Arabic, El Qasam, uh, do not kill um, infant. And they stepped out. And that's it. And uh, this was a different, this was a different terrorist group than Hamas. What? Why did they say they didn't? They don't kill children. There were many, many children that were killed, and many children that were taken hostage. What was it about these people who came into your house? I really don't know. But it was only one or two cases that happened, and they didn't kill two infants, but they did kill all the rest. Mm -hmm. And what they want to, sh to show the world is, um, you know, is a lie. It's not the full story. It's just this. And then your two children come out of the safe room? No. No. They leave the safe room and I talk to Daria for three hours. They're and in all the of house. this time she was in the safe room yeah. with her brother? Under the blanket. She couldn't even take her head out of the blanket. And she was, you were talking with her this yeah, whole time? all the time. And she was whispering? I didn't leave her, yeah. And she never lost her, no. No. her, her recorded, ability to uh, communicate? I recorded all these uh, hours because there was a moment that she said, Mommy, they are coming in again. She, she thought that uh, she heard you know, steps. And at that moment, I, I pressed on uh, the record because I said, it, it could be the last time that I hear my daughter speaking alive. And you wanted to document her voice yeah. for your yeah. memory. Yeah. Three hours, maybe three and a half hours later, I told her Golan is in. Um, and then he arrived, they took him on the phone. It was like ugh, a relief. You know, I could breathe again. <laughs> he stayed with them for nine hours more. In their home, in, in their, their shelter. Yeah, in the safety room. And he couldn't even get to the kitchen to bring something to eat. They didn't eat from the morning until evening. Because it was still dangerous to leave yeah. the shelter. It was very dangerous outside. He stayed with them for nine hours and then he took them off through the window to his place, his uh, Golan's place and his wife Sufit, um, using a car of, uh, of the first uh, responders team. And that's it, they stayed there for the night. I was waiting for them to arrive so I can hug them and smell them and, you know, be with them. And my mom was there as well at her house and my sister also lived in the kibbutz. So it was like I, I should, should have been in a lot of, uh, you know, place, places at the same time to make sure and check up everybody, that everybody's fine. They survived? Yeah. yeah.
What do you want us to know about Hamas and about Palestinian society? Are you familiar with ISIS? You think Hamas and ISIS are the same thing? Exactly the same. And I think that the world didn't understand that until this point. We didn't understand that as well. They had plans, they knew exactly where, where we live. Can they I ask you, how did they know exactly where, because, how did they have this information? Because they had, uh, you know, the Ashrat um, Knisa. They had uh, permits to enter yeah. Israel. Mm -hmm. And were they working on your kibbutz? In our kibbutz, in Be'eri, in Ir Oz, we knew some of them, they were telling, you know, they were the one who built our safety room. So they knew all this information about the kibbutz. Everything. And they, they gave it to Hamas. So when Hamas entered the kibbutz, they knew exactly what they were looking for. Exactly. They knew where people live. Exactly. In which houses. They had maps of the schools, of a specific person that they wanted from, from the army or anything like that, you know. Um, they knew who was in the army, where he lived, and they had a plan to either kill him or take him hostage and gain intelligence. And they got that information from people who worked in the kibbutz. Yeah. And I don't think that anyone could imagine that they will kidnap kids and women. I mean, it's not like a war when we have our army against theirs, Hamas okay, or jihad or whatever. It's like innocent people who just wanted to live in peace. The most of the people next to me, next to my house, we just want peace and our uh, opinion of, of them is like, okay, we should live together. We shouldn't have, um, you know, we shouldn't have a war between us. Do you think that that's possible now? Yes. Do you, you still believe in yes. peace and you think yes. that's possible in the If in the Hamas next... won't be there, Hamas so you must think be eliminated and the sooner the better and we need the world to help us with that, to understand that and I mean it's like 20 years that they're, they've been shooting on us and I don't think that there, there's any uh, country in the world that will let it happen. You're in a lot now. Um, the kibbutz I'm a refugee. You're a refugee. <laughs> that also is important for people in the West and American Jews to understand. There are a couple hundred thousand refugees in Israel that are displaced and are living in different places in mm -hmm. Israel. They relocated you and your family to a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you, what, do you have future plans or is it too early? Do, you're, the kibbutz was devastated. Do you want to go back to the kibbutz? Do you want to live somewhere else? I want to live in the kibbutz, to live there. Dvir was buried there intentionally. It's our home. We won't leave our home. Now it's, uh, for us it's temporary, but you know, we're in the middle of the war. We don't know how much time it will take and we don't know what will happen to Israel. So, you know, I'm a positive person, but uh, I, 
cannot know what will happen. I can only tell you what I want to happen. What do you want to happen? I want Hamas to be eliminated. I want all the hostages to come back home alive. I want peace. I want to live in my home, peace and quiet. So your intention is to go back to the kibbutz? Of course. Rebuild the kibbutz, rebuild your lives. It was described as 95% paradise and 5% with bad with uh, Hamas missiles. Is that what you think? It was It, it was a beautiful life. It was 100% heaven. Heavenly, 100%. 100%. Raoud, I want to thank you, first of all, for who you are and what you believe and your heroism. And I can't imagine, as I said, I can't imagine responding in the way that your children responded with such calmness and courage. And uh, I grieve for what happened to you and your family. And you have many friends from the kibbutz who were killed many who are hostages now pray for the souls of those who are dead and the well-being and the restoration of the hostages and for our soldiers and to pray for the health of our soldiers and i uh i hope that your dream comes true that Re'ut, that Re'im is rebuilt by Re'ut, <laughs> uh and uh and that you restore that 100 heaven that you spoke about Thank you very much. Ofek, thank you very much for uh, coming and thank speaking you. with us. And on behalf of the Jewish community in the United States, I'm very sorry for what happened at the kibbutz and for your loss of friends and kidnapped people. Tell us, where were you on October 7th? And What, what were you experiencing? So on October 6th, I uh, went to work. I work in the kibbutz. When I came home, I went to my mom's house to you know eat and sleep there. So I was I came home at 4 a.m., stayed up, and then two hours later there was a uh, rocket alarms going on. And then we started to notice that this rocket attack. Uh, that, so that was about 5 a.m. We started not noticing that this rocket attack was very long. It was it kept they kept shooting consistently. There was a video going around on Instagram, actually. I just you know, went to check my phone randomly of a uh, terrorist in Sderot shooting civilians. And so I thought it was a fake because we know that it's not possible for them to cross the border all the way to Sderot. You know, we and my mom were laughing about it. And then about 15 minutes later, we heard the gunshots in the kibbutz, which we now know is the, is the first fallen victim, who was an 80-year-old woman. She's a grandmother to one of my friends who, is, who also got murdered. There was a lot of panicking in the kibbutz's WhatsApp groups. You know, people were saying, oh, I see, I, I hear Arabic, I hear shots, I see them. And because you know where everyone lives, you kind of, you have an idea of where they're coming from. And we just realized that they're coming from basically everywhere. It started out as people saying, I hear them, to them saying, I see them, to them saying they're in our house, and then you just lost connection with them. And that's actually how people got murdered, and, you know, that's how we found out about Uh, people that they just weren't responding they just weren't responding at one point um, after they said they're seeing them they're in the house and then nothing 
for about four hours, uh, there was no army present. It was just whoever was in the area with a gun went in to fight. Was it surprising to you that there was no yes, army present? Yes, because I know that the army is supposed to be there in five minutes, usually, top seven. And those four hours were actually where all the victims were. Um, the only reason they, they haven't wiped the kibbutz completely uh, was because when they went to Mefalsim, um, I have a friend there who is an officer in the army and he was fighting them and on one of them he found a notebook and with information about where everyone live, where the children are, how many children are in each house. Did they target the kids? They targeted the kids. Why? Why? What did because they want? They, they wanted to, to murder them they or to, kidnap they them. They wanted to murder and kidnap them to inflict as much uh, humanitarian damage as possible. Mm -hmm. And for them, that case was to kill the kids and the babies and the women, um, and everything was recorded. They had body cams showing everything. We have there's people from Gaza who come to work in Israel. They have a permit, and they were the ones who gave the information. They found f evidence of that in uh, Nativa Asara, one of the kibbutzes. Mm -hmm. Some guy, they, some guy that lives in the kibbutz who is uh, from Gaza originally, but he was working in the kibbutz for 30 years. They found a map in his room where everyone lives with information. There were Palestinian there workers were Palestinian, yeah. who for many weeks or even months or years were, or given, years were, were gathering information gathering intelligence to, to, to sell give them, to Hamas. To sell it to Hamas. A lot of the kibbutzniks on Kfar Aza and, and throughout the whole area, they were peace activists. Yeah, something about the kibbutzis is because we live so close, um, there's this illusion of peace because we don't, if we don't get hurt by them, then no one else is because we are the first line. So because there was relative quiet, the only thing that wasn't quiet was um, Hamas shooting rockets at civilian areas um, every month, every few months. And that kind of gave us the picture that Hamas is bad, but the Palestinians are innocent. But then on October 7th, they, there was Palestinians, civilians who came into Israel with axes, with knives, with rocks, with anything to kill and do whatever they want. Did you see them on the kibbutz? Well, I saw their bodies in the kibbutz after uh, when I left the area. You saw Hamas terrorists Hamas and plus civilian, Palestinian civilians. Civilian, children, What were women, they doing there? Whatever they wanted. You know, I saw bodies of, of hijab-wearing women in the kibbutz. So it wasn't just... It wasn't just Hamas doing this. As soon as the gates were open, everyone went why, in. Why would... They, could, they, they were allowed to do whatever they want. They can go in. If they want to steal money, they can. If they want to steal people and then sell them to Hamas, they can. There's something very deep about that kind of hatred. It's, Hamas is, is an ideology. It's not just an organization. It's an ideology that is very easy to, to, adapt, to adopt when you're in a bad state of life, like many Palestinians are. And it gets them, it makes them forget that the reason they're so poor and, and, and sad and, and, and impoverished is because Hamas is doing this to them. But the Hamas ideology is actually give them a victim. Same way the Nazis would victimize Jews to show the Germans that, the, you know, the reason you're suffering is because of the Jews. Hamas was doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, for many years, so this ideology kind of grew in and, you know, kids would rehearse in school how to kidnap people. But this wasn't new to us, you know, for when I, I went to Zikim Beach once, Zikim Beach is a beach right connected to Gaza. And there was a bunch of notes, there was a, one day we found a notebook on the beach that is a guide of how to be a Shaheed for kids with pictures and everything. 
and you know, Shahid is a martyr. Shahid for them is a martyr. Is a martyr, yeah. yeah. I, I can't read Arabic, but the pictures were clear. It was just killing people, mm -hmm. you know, Jewish people, mm -hmm. Israeli people. Doesn't matter who it is, and that's how you're gonna get to heaven. That's that's what they believe in. Same way as you believe in God, they believe that killing brings them to heaven. Mm -hmm. You have Sunny here, who looks like she's taking a little bit of a nap after yeah. devouring that uh, yeah, ball over there. <clears throat> Why'd you bring her? What uh, does she play any role in in your story? Yeah. So, Sunny was um, when I finished the army, I took Sunny in uh, a bit before that, and uh, you know she's my companion. We always we when I went to work, she was with me. She was always with me, and she's very friendly to the people in the kibbutz. Everyone knows her. Everyone loves her. So because her breed is a, is a guard dog. So usually when someone knocks on the door, she barks and makes noises immediately. Um, this time she didn't. When the Hamas, when the terrorist came to our home and tried to breach the doors, she was completely silent. And that connected to the fact we had no car in the garage because we moved it to clean for the holiday. And um, I also disconnected all the electricity so they wouldn't find us. That all together made them just skip the house and go to the roof. So they actually stayed, instead of going into the house, they went to the roof and shot from there. They were up on your roof they were for four hours or so? For about two hours. Two hours. On the roof. Then the idea of killed them and the idea of went to the roof to fight. Our neighborhood was a complete gunfight, firefight for uh, 10 hours maybe. There was no clear control from any side. So had Sunny done what she normally did, which is to guard you they would and to go bark, in, yeah. what would happen? They would come in. You know, they, they knew that where there's a dog, there's a family probably. Mm -hmm. you know, so they would probably try to breach in and find us. Um, How do you explain that? I don't. She, did you, she's, she's did a, you try she's, to keep her quiet? Did you? No, I, I couldn't. I was holding the, uh, the door and having a knife, so I couldn't really tend to her. Um, she was standing on top of my mom and she looked in the door with, you know, focused ears and, and eyes and she, she was, she was, she knew the situation, she understood it because we were both, both afraid and she was ready to defend us. And she's not from, she's not an army dog, she's just, <laughs> Tell me, I want to ask you, there was a lot of sympathy for Israel in the first two or three days or so. Uh, and ever since, the main story in the West is Israel's response and the suffering of the mm -hmm. Palestinians, which is a legitimate part of the story, but the whole context has been lost. When you see uh, anti-Israel marches in the West, you spend some time in Europe living there yourself. Yeah. What's your reaction? What do you feel? I think everyone is marching against Israel are misunderstanding what free Palestine means and what it what it should mean, you know. The, the ones who control Palestine are not Israel, it's Hamas. They control it, there's evidence of them controlling it. Even Gazans themselves speak against Hamas now, which is something that hasn't been done for years because they were just being killed on the spot as soon as they spoke. And those marches that, that are supposed to be to free the Palestinian people from Hamas, became marching to kill Israel, to kill Israel. That's all they are. There's nothing of peace. There's no logic behind it. There's no facts behind it. There's no process of, of thought going behind it. It's all about we're going to show solidarity against Israel, against the Jewish people. This is happening most 
intensely on university and campuses. And I think those universities. And the more elite the campus is, the more intense the anti-Israel feelings are. It's because the people who are like from Harvard, for example, they think that they know that what they research and what they conclude to is the best thing they can find because they're the smartest and they're in the most luxurious places. But it's actually those people who are the downfall of education. You know, Harvard used to be the peak of education. Oxford used to be the peak of education. Now it's a downfall of it because they allow this to happen. And all the information is there, you know. Do you think there's an element of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism? The people who are against us, they don't care about being called anti-Semitic. They don't think it's something bad. People don't, don't understand what it actually means. And I understand what it means because I, I've seen with my own eyes what it means. It means walk house to house, kill everyone, and keep moving. That's what it means. There's no other definition to it. Do you want to go back and live in Kvaraza? Yeah, definitely. Do you think you will? I will. When uh, it, it's... It, very, it also depends on the outcome of the, the war. Because if we're going to go back to, the, to another, if nothing is going to be done and Hamas is not going to die and you know, the ideology of Hamas is not going to get rooted out, then that means that in 60 years, my kids are going to grow up, this is going to happen again to them. And it's gonna be, this time it's going to be me defending my kids. Same thing again will happen. You know? it's, they're not going to stop until we're all dead, so we have to stop them. You know, it's us or them and I choose us. There is hope for the Jewish people. We've been around for thousands yeah. of years. They can't, they can't uh, defeat us in they the can't. end. Uh, we're we're going to stay around and protect ourselves and Thank you. hopefully live a life of peace and tranquility for you. And when you go back to Kfar Aza, I want to go back too and be with you when we it's consecrate uh, the new village. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's, you know, Kfar Aza is a beautiful place. Uh, so I wish you uh, well. Thank Success, you. many days of peace. Thank you very much. Yeah. Sharon, you call yourself from the A-Team. You and your husband built this whole not-for-profit to feed, I think you told me, 10 to 30,000, 10,000 to 30,000 soldiers a day. That's correct. So, and that's so Jewish. That is such a Jewish thing. Tell us about what were your motivations, what happened, how quickly from October 7th you decided to act. So we did it quite quickly. Um, on October 7th, uh, Tzachi was still in uh, Greece. Uh, this is where we operate our business. While starting to hear all of the rumors of what started to happen here uh, in Israel, he really thought that this is the time to do something as, as quickly as he can. On October 8th, he was already here. So he thought what would be the other ways to contribute uh, to the needs of, of the army. We knew that the army uh, drafted a lot of people in a very short amount of time. And uh, when you come to a very large bureaucratic operation, you know that those thing, things take time. And us as civilians can operate in a much faster pace. Um, so we thought that starting with, with food, um, instead of eating uh, from, from cans and, 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 and not hot meals, uh, this would be the right um, direction to at least start yeah. with. Those uh, army rations, they're tough even once or twice, let alone every day, three times a day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we started small, 500, uh, 1,000 meals per day. Uh, and the operation just started to grow each and every each and every day. Um, and this was all from your it was from your own 
pocket. When we started the operation, all of the funding came from us and, and the other team members that, that were part of this. Um, when, when things started to, uh, to progress, uh, we decided that uh, we need to open an official association and to start uh, using the connections that we have here in Israel uh, to bring donations. Why did you call yourselves the A-Team? <laughs> uh, this was something that was uh, like in a, a moment of, of thinking what would be like the right name. Uh, and then we thought of this uh, TV the series. TV show. Yeah, TV show that, uh, that we used to watch while we were kids. Uh, and you know, the A-Team was the, the, always the first to come, the first to, uh, to assist, the first to, uh, to respond to any kind of need. So we're here, we're about 10, 12 miles from Gaza. Yeah. We have a few soldiers here now. It's still early in the morning. Okay. They start coming out in the afternoon. Yes. Does the army let them out for a few hours to come out of Gaza? They come straight from the battle and they come to eat here, refresh themselves and go back in? Yeah, well, it depends on, 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 on the units. There are a lot of different units here. Some of them are more supporting from the back, uh, um, and some are the ones that are actually entering Gaza and do, uh, do the day-to-day -day, uh, fighting combat. And we have them all uh, here. Uh, for some, we also take the food inside as close as we can. So you bring the food so bring, to the border exactly. and somebody then takes the food into the army units. Right, yeah. And do you have a lot of volunteers who come from Israel, they heard about you, do they come down here to support in any way they can? Yeah, so we, the operation here rely on an, at around 100 volunteers each day that are coming from all around the country. You'll see them later, maybe they're, you know, they're chopping the onions and, and the tomatoes and uh, preparing everything for the, for the meals to, to go out. Other than that, we have a lot of different um, um, things other than food that we do here. There are hairdressers that are coming to cut the, uh, the soldiers' hair because they've been, I don't know, four or five weeks inside Gaza and, and, uh, and they need some Some of them are of... in reserves, too. They, yeah. did, they didn't groom themselves before <laughs> they were drafted. Yeah. If people who are listening and watching uh, from abroad, if they want to help you, on this. We have a website, all of the details are on the website with uh, just um, a, a very easy few clicks to contribute in any, any way. It can be credit card, PayPal, uh, Paybox, whatever, whatever works. And uh, any donation that we can receive would, uh, would help us to continue this operation. Um, it's quite expensive here every day to operate uh, this. Uh, uh, we discussed before, you know, 10,000 to 30,000 meals per day, and this is not the only thing that we are doing, uh, so any contribution would be We'll very do helpful. our best to make sure that people uh, know that. Thank you. Uh, not, not only on behalf of all of the people you feed and you serve and all the Israelis who are proud of you, we're proud of you in America as well. Thank you very and, much. And uh, we're behind you.
So now we're here at the end of the day. It's uh, a little after four, and you can see what's going on here. It is the most amazing, inspiring setting. And all of this happened because a couple of people decided that they wanted to make it happen. Uh, and they couldn't actually, the army didn't want them because they were too old for uh, the combat units. So not knowing what else to do, they said, well, let's come and uh, feed all the soldiers who are in Gaza. And so you see here by the end of the day, there are thousands and thousands of soldiers who uh, come in here and uh, they sent out trucks already to the front lines to get food inside the soldiers inside Gaza for the soldiers as well. It's just the most inspiring, beautiful setting with beautiful people. And that's the strength of Israeli society and of the Jewish people. This kind of unity can't be broken. That's why I know in the end we will prevail.